On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we're joined by Willie Donick, the play-by-play broadcaster for the Nashville Predators on Valley Sports and former Commodore basketball and baseball player. Willie gives his reaction to the new basketball locker rooms, being invited to autograph the new Star V in the renovated basketball facility, Vanderbilt's win over Texas A&M on Saturday, the impact of a packed student section inside Memorial Gym, the stretch run coming up starting with Alabama on Tuesday night, the Vandy Boys series loss to Oklahoma State, and the potential for a new student section for Vanderbilt students to enjoy Commodore baseball in the future. We've got all that and much more coming right up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Let's ride. At Vanderbilt. It's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report. The premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who bleed black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. Welcome into the Door Report. It is episode 146. It is February 21st, 2022. We are powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. And, Will, we've got a victory to recap. Vanderbilt uh, gets back on track with a win over Texas A&M, 72-67. Boy, was it ugly, but they got it done. And that's all they needed to do. All they needed to do was get the No dump. such thing. No <laughs> such thing. There's no, no such thing. thing as an ugly win. There's not – that's – is Vanderbilt is, – is, People that follow Vanderbilt and anyone listening that to this follows Vanderbilt. There is literally no – the ugliest win on the planet is a still a hundred times prettier than the prettiest loss. A win is a win is a win. Yep. A loss is a loss is a loss, Billy. So don't don't you dare call a win ugly. That's, all, <laughs> well, that's how I had to start out this podcast. Well, there was a loss on the baseball side. So, so <laughs> yeah, and, there was one and, of those. I think the world's going to end after a Vandy Boys series <laughs> loss to begin the season. So uh, we've got some reaction there. Will Oklahoma State took two or three from the Vandy Boys. So we've got a win for basketball and a loss series for baseball. I don't think we'd be saying that, but uh, here we are. We're saying it. <laughs> I mean, you can't you can't have everything here, Billy. I mean, you have to you have to pick and choose where you want to be. Vanderbilt basketball played a game that was very winnable, one that they really really needed to win this late in SEC play against an opponent that's right there with them in that range of playing in that Wednesday night opening round game of the SEC tournament. The Vandy boys matchup was a little bit different, a little bit, and tougher. and they're going to be very different uh, analyses going going back and forth, and one of them is more like. I don't want to say less critical, even though maybe necessarily the performance on the field by the Vandy boys wasn't that great. And basketball may be a little bit critical, even though they came out and won, just because, like you mentioned, the performance was a little bit sloppy. And we still have to go by the fact of we're not judging based on wins and losses. We said that we have to stick true to that. We're sticking to to stick true. So I have to have criticisms, even though I'm extremely excited about the future and the next four games for this Vandy boy. Vanderbilt basketball team. I almost called them the wrong name there, Billy. <laughs> but Jerry Stackhouse seems to have them trending in the right direction. And I'm very excited. But there are some issues that were exposed against Texas A&M. And I'm not saying that the next matchups aren't winnable. But if they have a performance like that in the next three games, it's probably not going to result in a win. So we have to go at it from a little bit of a different perspective from each of these because you're at very different stages of the season. Yeah, there's going to be so some- I think everybody's like reacting like we're in the same spot. And we're not in the same spot. They're very different stages of the season. They're still improving and and, and on the basketball side of things. And we have to mention that we we have to, and that's what we talked about before the season. So, Will, we've got some caveats. I think that we're going to talk about today. We're going to say this happened, but also this happened. So, so we'll get, we'll get to those caveats before we get to the breaking news. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, 
Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, let's get to the breaking news. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, well, let's start with basketball. And this uh, this was a Saturday night at Memorial Gym. Vanderbilt got the win 72 to 67. They're now 14 and 12 on the season, 6 and 8 in the SEC, and those six SEC wins will they combined for six wins the last two seasons. So that's, again, another form of improvement. A&M falls back into that bottom four. So this was, Will, you could argue, a play out, like play out of that first night, play out game of that first night of the SEC tournament. A lot can still happen, but Vanderbilt is in the driver's seat now to get out of that first night of the SEC tournament. We'll talk about those. Uh, Will, I thought it was interesting, though, before we get into the game, I know you are aware of this, too. Rodney Chapman and Drew Weikert were honored before the game uh, for senior night. And, of course, Chapman missed the game with an injury, but Drew Weikert, it's, it's hilarious. He had five points. He scored the first bucket of the game. He had a he had a nice little pull-up jumper. He had a three, so Weikert put in some minutes. Uh, but, Will, the interesting thing about this, I think this means Liam Robbins and Quentin Melora Brown will return next season. That's what Robbie Weinstein is reporting. Now, things can still happen, whether it's injuries or, you know, say one of them decides to leave or, or whatever, but it's likely that those two are coming back. That's huge. And I thought that was something notable coming from that. And and we didn't have a report until I think the game started from Robbie. But as I saw it would only be Chapman and Weikert being honored, I knew pretty quickly that, okay, we probably got Liam Robbins back next year. Every Everything you'd seen talked about, Billy, That's this is like the first time because we'd kind of casually discussed it. Like who would be yeah. coming back? Because we're still we haven't talked weird, about it a lot, though. We, yeah, we're still in this weird COVID area where I think nobody's really talking about it because nobody knows. No, everybody's kind of guessing. Because everybody has everybody has this extra year of eligibility. Combine that with these new transfer rules, which has created even more chaos. Combine that with the new medical redshirt rules, which has created more chaos. <laughs> and you're sitting where we are now, which is we don't really know what's going on. We I know, know we ha- we had some hopes that Liam Robbins would be back. Mm-hmm. I think that with his injury and probably. He has hopes of maybe an NBA future, maybe possibly second round pick of some kind, just as his size with his skill, he he can maybe provide depth on an NBA team or at least get a shot in the G League. So I think him coming back was a hope for us in that without this injury, he probably would have been one of those guys that would not have come back. But since he doesn't have a lot on tape right. inside of this Vanderbilt offense, he's probably going to come back. Now, QMB, right. I didn't know about that one. That was where... If you have Liam Robbins and QMB and Lee Dort, you've got some size on that roster. You have some depth and some size. And you combine that with also, I mean, you're going to have some roster movement, Billy. I mean, this is going to be an interesting offseason because you also have Taryn Frank and Jermaine Mann on that roster. I don't see space for those guys in this rotation. And you're just going to be, you're going to have a, a, you're going to be spoiled with riches. You're going to have too much depth at that big man position. And yeah. I don't think that that's a position that we expected to be in. And now yeah. you're going to be sitting there with saying, how are we going to get these guys properly rotated in? But the big thing is foul trouble. That is not going to be a huge issue, especially with these young guys coming mm-hmm. in that are going to have to adjust to the college game. Lee Dort, big men always seem to struggle early in their careers. This freshman with foul trouble. If both Liam Robbins and QMB come back next season, that's just going to provide this peace of mind in our heads. Like, yeah. okay, even if Lee Dork comes out and struggles and has issues with fouls, you still have quality got depth. depth. Yeah. You still have size. And this new thing with Stack, where he's, ha- he's playing the two bigs at the same time, I like it. that seems to be giving teams fits. And you're going to have even more options to do things like that next season yeah. because you're finally going to have that roster versatility. Yeah. You're going to have guys that can play anywhere from two to five on this roster, and that's going to be exciting to watch. Yeah, you'll have versatility, you'll have depth, and a, a lot of the depth that they you know, are have been needing this season, they'll have it next year. And, and I agree with you with the post players. Maybe man transfers out, maybe Frank leaves, but also, Will, there's the guard scenario of uh, does Stackhouse want Noah Shelby running the running the point? Uh, you know, that I think that's another question. So uh, they could be in the transfer portal for a point guard. So we'll see about that. But, well, let's get into the game. I mean, this is all under the assumption, Billy, 
and I, I'm not saying either direction. We don't know anything inside, right. or I don't at least. You Scotty might. Pippen. Scotty could. Pippen Jr. I, I, think, I, think, I think that's an option. I, I really do. I don't know why this is just a given that he's gone. What, from his perspective, he's probably not improved his draft stock this season, Billy. I mean, just being completely honest, he's having Through turnover the issues. Yeah. He hasn't shot the ball particularly well. He's played well. I'm not saying that he's played poorly. Yeah. He's probably – he had very high expectations going into the season. Yeah. Anytime you're expected to lead the conference in scoring and you come out and you do it, that's impressive, yeah. which is where yeah. he's at right now. Even with that, he probably hasn't played – as well as he'd hoped, Mm -hmm. you know, answering the questions going in of, can he be a true point guard? Can he consistently shoot from the outside? I don't think he's answered those questions. So I don't know why it's under this complete assumption that Pippen Jr. is gone. Yeah, I think he would benefit greatly next year from having that talent. I'm not knocking the guy, but, but, you know, I I think it's an option because say you got Pippen at the point, Noah Shelby at the two, Lee Dort, or vice versa. Yeah. Whatever. There's a lot of (laughs) options for Stackhouse that next year. And and, and that's, that's a good thing. It's a, he's going to have a lot more toys to play with. So, that's another scenario, Will, that I think we need to keep an eye on. But we'll talk about a lot of that offseason talk uh, in, in further episodes in the dog days probably. But, Will, let's get to this game. And uh, the one word, at least towards the end, is sloppy, chaotic. I mean, it was an absolute slugfest. It looked like I was watching a rugby game at the end. The referees felt like they were calling it tight most of the game. And then the last two minutes, it looked like they were playing tackle football out there. I mean, it was a it was a melee, uh, not the one like Juwan Howard, but you know, we're not a Michigan podcast, but, <laughs> but, but will Vanderbilt won the game and that's, that's what's most important. And they remain alive for the postseason, not the NCAA tournament. I, I, you know, we both agree that's pr- likely not an option, but the NIT birth is still alive and will they overcame 20 turnovers. I thought that was a big key and they fouled a lot. Uh, both teams fouled a lot. Vandy had 20 fouls. Uh, Scotty Pippen jr. Though. I mean, when he's at 24 points, I think you can say just about every time Vanderbilt wins or either is in the game competing. Uh, now it's happened to where he's had 30 points and they haven't won. But uh, when you've got a supporting cast like Jordan Wright, and I thought Liam Robbins played huge down the stretch too, Will. Uh, I mean, Wright had 15, Robbins had 14, eight rebounds. He had seven points in the final three minutes of that game. And Liam Robbins is is not slowly, he's quickly stepping into the role we thought he would play the big-to-big passing like you talked about, Will, with QMB and Robbins is working. And even with uh, Jermaine Mann out and Rodney Chapman out, you've got guys stepping up. I mean, I thought Drew Weikert had some good minutes. Like, there's guys stepping up now, and, and they're playing their roles, and they're playing above their roles. And that's what we needed, Will. They're playing above those roles. And and so, for me, Will, Liam Robbins was the X factor. Say he struggles, has two, four, maybe six points, gets into foul trouble. I don't know if they win this game. I mean, seven points, final three minutes. And then you had Jordan Wright's layup there, 26 seconds left. That put Vandy up by three. So, well, just kind of initially, I thought Robbins was – I'm not going to say he won them the game, but I'll go ahead and say it. Without him performing the way he did, I don't think they win that game. I mean, you're right. I, I literally <laughs> have written down here exactly the same thing. You wrote down Liam Robbins and Quentin Mallora-Brown were huge, and I wrote yeah. down in capital letters, bold letters, huge, because you wrote down everything <laughs> that I wanted to say. But I said the, the one thing that was negative uh, that I want to start out with, then I'll go to the positive here but I'll go back to where you were headed. But number one is death taxes and Miles Studi getting in foul trouble. There's always the one guy that seems to be a foul magnet. Miles Studi didn't he just get can't to play stay, a lot of minutes. Of he, he didn't trouble. start. He only played 18 minutes. He had four fouls. He was one of three from three. He knocked down a, a pretty big shot in a key moment, yeah. kind of in the flow of the game where the offense had kind of stalled. But he wasn't really involved. And we said at the start of this season, we talked about Scottie Pippen Jr. is going to give you you know, at least 20 points almost every single night. He's going to have a few games where he's not, but you can pretty much expect he's going to put up about 20 at least every single game. Mm -hmm. You have to find two other guys that night in, night out, or a supporting cast of a combination of two guys that can come out and put up in the mid-teens. When Liam Robbins, like what you said, is in this rotation and his minutes are increasing, he played 26 minutes against Texas A&M, you have a multitude of guys that can put up those those points in the mid-teens. Jordan mm-hmm. Wright is playing much better now, and he's consistently seeming to put More up aggressive. that 13 to 18. So that's one guy that seems almost every single night he's going to be that secondary guy. Now you need a tertiary guy. You need a third guy. And that's been Miles Studi. 
But when Miles Studi has been getting in foul trouble, not playing well, this team sunk. And that's why we said last podcast, when you see him get into that six, seven, eight, three point shot attempts per game, that a lot of times they're winning because that means he's scoring points in that 11 to 18 right, point right. range. Well, now you have Liam Robbins who can also do that. He can score in the mid teens. No offense to QMB who has been playing incredibly well. And I think we keep hitting on that because he's playing Gritty, so well, but he's, but he's not a scorer. And, no, and no. 10 points from QMB is a huge offensive output. 14 for Liam Robbins, I don't even think is scratching the surface. I think Liam Robbins that's, that's can be salivating. an offensive weapon, and it makes you think, Billy, it's going to make it, I have to say it, what this team could have been fully healthy the entire no, season. No, I'm with Will, I'm with you. And, and, I think and, fully which, healthy, Billy, I really think this yeah, is an God, NCAA tournament bubble team. I think fully healthy, we're seeing it. They, they probably win at least one more SEC game, at least, at least fully healthy. Yeah, I'm with you. God at forbid, least, probably, maybe out. both. God They're forbid he sitting. has all the players he 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 wanted he thought he was going to have this year and they They're start sitting winning games. at least worst case tied for fifth right now probably yeah. sitting at fifth outright right behind Arkansas They're and Tennessee in that if they're fully healthy they're, they're, they are they're there they're yeah. right there if they're fully healthy and that's what's so frustrating is even now they're not healthy you're still missing your starting two guard and rodney chapman yeah. who's just as big of an influence as liam robbins hell you, we can't get all these guys out on the court and this is not even going back to dylan DeSue making what he probably looks at now as a bad decision to transfer mm-hmm. out and go to texas when yeah. he thought that scotty pippen jr wasn't coming back imagine Ironic. him on this roster man Ooh. i mean you would be sitting there with a team that probably is vying for that at large of a six seven eight seed yeah. but it doesn't work out that way cursed with injuries <laughs> noah shelby got hurt already and played on that oh, entry gosh. in the state championship game it's it's a curse it's the curse it's, of coach it, Kevin it continues it keeps he, going he, and i don't know when it, i don't know when it's a powerful curse man i don't know when it's gonna go away maybe ever maybe never but like maybe paid maybe, maybe, they, maybe they get healthy next year will but you talked about it with chapman not even back yet when he comes back for the sec tournament I wouldn't want to play this Vanderbilt team. That's going to be a I, I team really, nobody wants to see. No, and, and the way they're playing, see. the way they're playing right now, they're a tough team. I mean, they, they are they're mentally tough, they're physically tough. Now they may have a bad shooting night, but they're in. They've been in almost every game. Well, they that's they, the, that's the thing, Billy. That before we said they shoot a lot of threes, and so like when the shots aren't falling, they're losing games. But this game was a tale of two halves. That first half was the gritty half. No shots were awful. falling. It was 28-27 they won that first half against Texas A&M. The second half was 44 to 40. They beat yeah. that was a very different Started style of game. Started putting up some points. A lot of that was free throws, a lot of that was fouls. It was a foul fest the oh, entire gosh. game, good lord. Until the last 2 minutes and then it was anything. Yeah, good, they just let them go. Is my, they, my favorite they, style of referee. They, they hit the 2 minute warning and they said, "Hey, we're playing tackle football." Yeah, it, it's, guys it's were like dropping the, like flies. It's the exact same thing as when you'd see it in like college football or the NFL and they're like, uh, "I don't know if that's pass interference in the last drive of the game." Screw I'm like, it. "It's pass interference. If it's pass interference, <laughs> One minute into the game, it's pass interference with one minute left in the game. If it's a hand check foul, one minute into the first half, it's a hand check foul with one second left. Damn a foul right is, is a foul is a foul. Sorry, that's my that's my big. <laughs> the, but, the, we, the refs dude, just college said, basketball. The refs referee. said screw it. They said screw it the last two minutes of that game. And so I've is, seen this all across college basketball. This is our friend of the pod, Big T's big thing is that there is nothing as bad as college basketball refereeing and high school basketball Nowadays, refereeing. Yeah. It is truly like awful. Like you can point to probably three, four calls every single game across the country and that it's, you're it's just watching and you, it's, it's head scratching. It's just like, what? It's just random. Yeah. It'll just be a block charge call and it will just out of the like, blue. It'll just be a random charge. Yeah. And you'll say that is completely yeah. unlike anything else you've called throughout the game. But and the reason that's it's not cha- the point. That's yeah. not what influenced the game completely. Vandy won, but that's a little side note. Yeah, tangent yeah. the here. reason it's, like, it's changed Lord, is because of the freedom of movement initiative that yeah. college basketball took a couple years ago. And they're calling these hand checks. They're calling the, you know, a guy sticks his hand in there two, three years ago. That's not a foul. Now that's a foul. And they were calling. Well, I'm, fine. The game. I'm fine with that. It's the problem of consistency is, mm-hmm. is you can't, if you're going to call hand checks, I'm fine with it. But you have to call it just because a team fouls the whole game and early you call a lot of fouls and everybody's booing. You have to be consistent. Eventually, teams will stop doing it. That, yeah, that's, that's the problem. The There's problem. no consistency. Is, is, is teams that press throughout the whole game. Texas A&M runs a lot of that three-quarter court press, a lot of that kind of token pressure, and then try to trap in the half court. Well, they foul the whole game. Yeah, And because they foul the whole team. game, they foul. And that's why their defense is good is because they get away with fouls. And, and referees just aren't going to foul out the whole team. They're yeah, just not. They're, they're not. Because they're not. like we always say, nobody came here to watch you blow your whistle. And that's what we always say. But at the same time, if they're fouling 
and that's how they're having success. They started calling it in the second half a little bit more consistently until the last two minutes, which is why you saw the point total increase. It's pretty obvious. Texas A&M's press is not a good press. They just foul. Yeah. And that's it's not I mean, a coincidence that, not that, that a particularly both teams good started team. scoring. Yeah. We probably need to move on. To yeah, let's move on. The, uh, let's, let's talk more. games here, Billy. <laughs> we, we have a game this week. Uh, well, we got a little <laughs> foul tangent there. But, Will, I want to get you yeah. a few notes on Scottie Pippen. Uh, he was co-SEC player of the week. He, aver- he averaged 27 points a game last week, which I didn't even notice. Uh, still, still leads the SEC in scoring. He's also second nationally in free throw attempts, 202. Free throws made and fouls drawn per 40 minutes. He's, he's drawing almost eight fouls per game, which is incredible. So if those numbers continue to go up, this Vanderbilt team's going to be in every game down the stretch. And I think we already know they will, but another caveat is they got to hit their shots, but will um, they got floor. They got, they got Florida later. They got Alabama on Tuesday night. And well, if all goes well here down the stretch, they, they'll very likely avoid that Wednesday night game. And, and let's talk about this one. Will and, and I know Stackhouse had a quote. I thought it was really cool. He said, this is our season right here. in one of the timeouts and, and I thought that was notable because Stackhouse knows what he's doing. Like a lot, he gets it. And and a lot of there's a lot of situations where yes, maybe we 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 argue about the the substitutions and all that, but I think that quote was big. The team knew they had to win the game and they were fully aware of the of the must-win scenario. And well, before we get to Alabama, this team is 4-0 with students in attendance and they're 4-0 in the gold uniforms. And I don't see why you stop with the gold uniforms. You're not going to stop with the students. Students are coming. I mean, the students are showing up. So God forbid you have students in the gym, you start winning games. I mean, that, 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 that tells you a lot about how much of an impact they can play. And, and so, I mean, it'll play another role against Alabama. So, I mean, I thought that was key, the, the, the students' energy, and, and they want to play in front of the students. I mean, I don't see why you wouldn't want to. So it, it's that, Yeah. I mean, you talk about Stack knows what he's doing. I think we agree with that. He – the issue from a, from we, a broad I, perspective. Yeah, yeah, there were a huge amount of, of Vanderbilt fans that had an issue with Bryce Drew. And I think me and you, our main issue, and I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but they were losing and it just didn't look like the team was playing that hard. Yeah. And I think that's Effort. that's the gist of it is they were not just losing and it was not just that they were going out and performing poorly and the talent was less. It was that combined with the fact that the team didn't look like they were giving it everything they had on the court yeah. and responding to Bryce Drew in that way. I don't think that there's any question that this team comes out and plays very hard for Jerry Stackhouse. And that's been very prevalent from the moment he became the coach of Vanderbilt. Now, does Jerry Stackhouse have the acumen of substituting guys in properly and rotating and timeout usage. That seems to be something that he's working on and getting better Mm -hmm. at. And he's not used to the college game. He's been playing in the NBA and coaching in the NBA for a long time. The timeout usage and advancing the ball past half court, it's just different. And you have a 24 versus a 30 second shot clock and you have a lot of different issues as a train's coming by. Oh, here we go. I can't can't finish my statement. We'll we'll get get to you again, Will, but uh, the classic train tradition, I love it. But Will, I'll I'll begin to get to Alabama and you can finish if you you want to, but uh, Vanderbilt has sole possession of fifth place right now. They return to Mem Gym, eight o'clock local Okay, Billy, I saw you there and down. I wanted to correct it even though there's a train. They are in sole possession of fifth from last. They're in sole possession of tenth place. So okay. they're they're technically five from yeah. The I'm, I'm I'm going off of that pack. I'm calling everyone. I'm saying there's a five team tie for fourth place. That's how I'm looking at it. All those seven and seven teams. So I'm looking at it through those tiers. And I know there's other. You know, you can go by those other. But there's well, there's five teams at seven and seven. I mean that yeah. like that. And then you've got you've got Auburn sitting at twelve and two. Kentucky at eleven and three. Arkansas it's tied with Tennessee sitting at 10 and four. And then you have the pack jam in the middle there of LSU, yeah. so Bama, Florida, I'm, South I'm, Carolina, Mississippi State. I'm going off of that as fourth place, which I mean, most people well, that would probably be fifth. won't. So but... they'd technically be sole possession of sixth. So, okay. I was doing they'd my be math the 10th seed, seed in the tournament. 10th seed right tenth now. Seed. That, out, be, out of that opening round. Yes. Out of that opening round, which is good. They'd be playing the seven seeded LSU Tigers in the SEC tournament, but they've got Alabama Tuesday night. Will Alabama is in that middle of the pack. 17 and 10 overall, 7 and 7 in the SEC. They're going to come in here desperate. Bama is, it, I mean, this is a must win game for them. As much as it is for Vanderbilt, it's the same thing for Alabama. That's how it's going to be down the stretch here. Bama will, interesting stat, they're 2 and 6 on the road this season. So they have struggled on the road. And I don't know if anybody wants to play Memorial Gym right now. I, you know, I, I think, I don't think Kentucky does. I don't think Tennessee does. Hell of Auburn came to Memorial Gym. I think they, I think they might, might struggle a little bit. So, uh, but will they are coming off a loss at Kentucky on Saturday? 
For me, the player to watch is Jaden Shackelford. He's averaging 17 a game. If Vanderbilt can contain him somewhat and Scottie Pippen plays well, I think Vanderbilt's got as good of a chance to, as anybody to beat Alabama. And, but I do think in this game, Will, you're going to need Miles Studi to produce. You're going to need Robbins to produce. You're going to need the same performance as, as everyone else did against AM, but you need to add Miles Studi in there, I think. Like Miles can't, I mean, he can't be in foul trouble and struggle. Now I could be, you know, I could be totally wrong in this, but I just think this is a game where you've got to have multiple, not just two guys step up. You've got to have three, four guys, maybe not in double figures, but you've got to have a guy like Studi produce or a guy like Trey Thomas make some big shots, you know, or a guy like hell Taryn Fank or, or T- Tyron Lawrence to just step up and make that the third or fourth guy to step up. So Another big game, Will, and if they can get it, that'll keep them on the right track. I mean, you've got a really weird situation here where you have a lot of NCAA tournament teams, okay? So what the Joe Lenardi bracketology and what everybody's talking about is the teams on the bubble and what teams from the SEC are going to get in and predictably. So this is the weird part, Billy. Clearly, everyone is talking about that Vanderbilt's probably not going to be an NCAA tournament team, right? Understandably, their resume, they're 14 and 12, but they're sitting at six and eight in the conference. You go on the flip side of that, and Alabama and LSU are most likely tournament teams, probably almost locks. Mm -hmm. Bama is the 20th ranked Ken Palm team, but they're seven and seven in the conference. Their resume is no better than Vanderbilt's. Now their deep analytical stats of their play and everything is better. But Vanderbilt's resume isn't worse than Alabama's. They're probably a better team. But this is all under the assumption that these last four games of the year play out how they are expected to. If Vanderbilt comes out and wins these last four games, they will be in the NCAA tournament, Billy. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. But nobody's talking about that. You're saying they should be. No, they will be. If they win, because they will beat. So coming up, they have the teams that are directly one game ahead of them in the SEC standings, okay? That big pack we talked about sitting at 7-7, Vanderbilt sitting at 6-8. Their next three games are all against teams sitting at 7-7 directly above them, all considered to be likely NCAA tournament teams ranked in the Ken Palm top 40. So Q1 wins. If they win these games, these are Q1 NCAA net Q1 wins, they will be in the tournament because they will probably be in sole possession of fifth place in the conference in the SEC who will likely have seven minimum teams in the tournament. There's no way that they would keep out Vanderbilt, even though Vanderbilt's getting hot at the, in quotation, right time of the year. Right. That would be the situation they would be in. And I can tell you one thing, in that SEC tournament, nobody would want to play a hot Vanderbilt team. No, It's no. just getting healthy with a lot of size and a lot of shooting confidence. Yeah. So that's the part that, like, get excited a little bit, Vanderbilt fans. Like, get a little bit excited. Yeah. We, we talked Memorial about – start talking differently about this team. That's what I talked the about. And I think not, we should. I mean, it's not I lost. think in the past, if we weren't conditioned with the seasons we'd seen the past three years, I think there would be a little bit more excitement. These yeah. are all four winnable games coming up. They're all four losable games as well. They can be playing in that opening night, night game or that, opening yeah. round games yeah. of those first four teams, but they can also be sitting in sole possession of fifth. Yeah. And like yeah. They, these are both very realistic paths they can follow. This isn't having to do anything. This is just looking at the schedule and saying, win three out of your next four and you'll probably be in at least six seventh place in this conference yeah yeah you'll be in a real interesting situation and put the national attention on yourself and you will be considered a bubble team not saying you're going to make it if you only win three out of four but if you win four pretty much guaranteed you control your own destiny that's a rare situation to be it is it is yeah i don't know if i'm ready will to say they're they're a lock for the tournament if they win the next four i think they would have to win at least two sec games and then they'll have a shot um but i'm with you in the fact that they put themselves in that position if they win all four you know, if they like, I, I think it would be pretty tough to keep out a team sitting at, you know, 18 and 12 overall with a 10 and eight record. Oh, no, yeah, I, I think I think saying the only tough. reason they don't have more wins than that is COVID cancellations in theory. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a win, I think one, you know, the loss to Temple would hurt them. But that's really yeah. the only loss that I look at that would kill them. So I, I do think I, I'm with you in the fact that would put them there. Um, but, you know, the with the SEC and all these teams, uh, we'll see because there's going to there, be there, there's, there, there there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> Of a lot teams. that can happen. There, there's a lot. And, and that's the good thing right now. They control, you know, you could say they control their own destiny right now. Everything's still in front of them. That's what we've talked about. So, and it starts Tuesday night against Alabama. 
And and I I, I you got to believe Stackhouse's team knows what's at stake. Like th- these guys aren't stupid. Like this is a team of smart guys. You've got a couple veteran guys out there that have played in big games before. And I, I'm with. I think Vandy fans should start talking about this team differently. I think a lot of them have. They're slowly. I think it was you know it was a good crowd lower level, but. You know, I don't think there's the attention from Vanderbilt fans that this team deserves. Uh, but it's going to start with a, with wins, and it's going to start with Alabama and and getting who do they play Saturday? Will they got Florida Saturday? Um, uh, I, I keep forgetting on the schedule. Got Mississippi State. Okay, Mississippi Saturday. Mississippi State Saturday. They've got Florida. I think next week. So uh, every every game is tough, but every game is also winnable. And and that that's, we that's also need to throw something in here before we go to baseball and say Miles Studi shooting over forty five percent from three. That's notable. And he doesn't qualify for the national statistics because of not enough attempts on the season. Yeah. But he'd be sitting at like fifth nationally in the entire fourth. It's not even like he doesn't have that many attempts. I mean, he doesn't have as many to be qualified, but with the attempts, he's got to be pretty close. Like he's not sitting there with like the same numbers like Dazoni, where Dazoni hasn't really not shot that many. Right. He's shot quite a few. It's pretty surprising to me. He's not, doesn't qualify because he's, I think, man. I think the one thing, and I think he was sitting under forty percent earlier in the year, so he's yeah, probably yeah. shooting and he's close improved. to fifty percent in the yeah. last little stretch. I think will with Stackhouse. Another thing that I would look at from his point of view, and you know, we talk about him learning how to do his job. I think getting doing whatever you can to get studio open for shots is another big thing, because with the clip he's hitting him at, why not feed him? You know, why not feed him just like the way you're doing Scottie Pippen? You know, I mean, Scottie Pippen, you got to feed him, of course, most of the time. But Jordan Wright, of course, I think is your two guy right now. Who's the three guy? Is it Robbins? Is it, you know, is it Studi? I think they're, you know, if they can figure that out and, and have that three guys step up consistently here down the stretch, it's a dangerous team. Well, dangerous team. And I wouldn't want to play this Vanderbilt team. So, so we'll, uh, we'll be talking more, of course, about this team. But we do have baseball to recap, Will. And it was a three game series this weekend. Oklahoma State, the Cowboys came into Nashville and beat Vanderbilt uh, two. Two, uh, they won two out of three from Vanderbilt. Uh, Vanderbilt, of course, won on Friday night. Uh, Saturday, Oklahoma State won four to three, and then they won again on Sunday, seven to five. Well, you know, I don't think the offense was the excuse here. I don't even think there's an excuse. Like, you know, you you lost to a top three team, top five team in the country, and, and you know, God forbid, you know, we've Vanderbilt loses to a team that, of course, they beat this team last year, but they lost to a top five team in the country. Let's calm down. Let's take a chill pill on on you know ripping these guys. But real quick, some of my notes will. I thought Chris McIlvain was tremendous Friday night. He only pitched four innings. Uh, his pitch count rose uh, pretty quick. But I, I, you, you probably maybe could have gotten another inning out of him. But he finished with ten strikeouts, four hits, no earned runs, and one walk. His ten strikeouts will were the most of any Vandy boys opening day starter in the last 15 years. So, and that's pretty impressive looking back at the pool of Vanderbilt pitchers to go by, especially that Friday night starter and more on the pitching. Will they combined for 45 strikeouts over the weekend for an average of 15 strikeouts per nine innings. That's fifth in the nation. That's already first in the sec too. So the pitching was, was tremendous. You know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to say tremendous, but they, they pitched well enough to win this series and offensively. I don't think they came up with enough timely hits. I think if you're going to come up with excuses, um, but also another guy game three, will Carter Holton looked the part that guy's electric. I mean, he'll, he did allow four runs, but he struck out seven guys and he's just a freshman. So, you know, he, he's got a lively fastball with some run on it. I think you could see maybe the same problem that Jack Leiter had with his fastball. And we saw a lot of it last year, Will, where he'd blow his fastball, you know, by some guys, but some really good hitters across the country, we're going to hit that out of the park every now and then. So, uh, Will, let's start with the put, the pitching and then we'll go to offense here. Uh, you know, what did you notice pitching wise? I thought Maldonado struggled a little bit Saturday. That was kind of a noteworthy thing that we talked about him moving from that bullpen role. But uh, pitching, I thought Will was good enough to win it, but offensively, it just didn't come up with enough timely hits. I don't think they played bad. Every, no. I mean, the the sky is not falling. Everybody on Vanderbilt Twitter sounds like Chicken Little. It sounds like the world <laughs> is ending at the beginning of every baseball season. We were talking about it before we started the podcast. You can go into the details of each individual game and what breakdown of everything happened, but this is the first series for both of these teams this season. They're, these are going to be very different-looking teams mm-hmm. come even conference play, much less getting into postseason play. You don't really take anything outside of just kind of tune-up from these early games, especially when you are playing a team that is higher odds, more highly favored to win the national championship this year 
than Vanderbilt. Mm -hmm. Oklahoma State, like we mentioned going into this series, was plus 900 to win the NCAA College World Series. Vanderbilt was sitting at about plus 1,400. This Oklahoma State team is really good. And Vanderbilt shut them out on Friday night, lost in a tight one 4-3, just couldn't get the timely hits on Saturday, and then lost another relatively tight game 7-5. to I mean, I just think everybody just take a step back take and a, realize relax. If, if Vanderbilt was able to pull out that game on Saturday and Vanderbilt won that game 4-3 to and we were, they're sitting at 2-1 and one right now, all would be right with the world and Oklahoma State would be talking about what's wrong with this team and falling below expectations – all I have to say is the schedule gets quite a bit easier after this Oklahoma State game. And I just have this small little inkling in my heart of hearts that against North Alabama and Evansville and Army and it could Central get back Arkansas, on that Vanderbilt might look just a little bit better against these teams like everyone else across the entire fucking country was playing. <laughs> Sorry, Vanderbilt, for cursing there, Vanderbilt that, fans. I but I mean, it. dear God. Miss every other team almost in the whole country was playing tune-up games against garbage teams and still managed to drop at least one game. Yeah, a lot and of them, some got of them lost. lost multiple yeah. games in the series. Mississippi State Vanderbilt lost a long started State. out with at that point was the number seven team in the country. Now the number three team in the country, and God forbid, I mean it's just almost embarrassing. I tweeted it out. I mean just go ahead and fire them all. Vanderbilt, <laughs> they're sitting at fifth, fifth in the country. I mean that's embarrassing. Embarrassing. I mean that's. Barely top five, Billy. Barely top five. Tim Corbin's I mean, not going to have a job. He's lost it. He's done. I mean, he's lost. He's done. He's I, lost I'm, the edge. I don't know he if you doesn't have it anymore. Get rid of him. Yeah, That's I'm done. Opinion. I'm done with Tim Corbin. Not, no not, point in breaking it down further. I don't even think done we need it. to talk baseball anymore this no. season, Will. I can't believe they lost this weekend. I can't this believe it. This season's basically done. Yeah, so like, I mean, that's I, what, I don't even think they have a shot at a, hosting a regional anymore. Pretty much. Will be this team will be lucky to maybe sneak into the tournament, maybe, maybe, and that's, maybe our, that's as the a, best as case scenario. Seat. Maybe you know knock a couple teams off in the SEC tournament, but other than that, I mean that's probably the cap. No, I mean I, that's pretty much. But I think that, we're in that's, agreement. That's here. where it is. I, I agree. Yep. No, I agree. Will I, I think they're screwed. This this team it sucks. No, and, and, uh, no. In all seriousness, <laughs> will that that's how some people I think are talking around the country, even with other teams. But Mississippi State lost to Long Beach State. Two to they lost two to three. East Carolina got swept by, I think, Bryant, uh, you know, a, a mid-major team. I don't even know if – I think they're D1. But l- the point is, Will, teams like – teams struggle to worse teams. And and that all across the country, Mississippi – I mean, Mississippi State lost. Ole Miss, I think, dropped one. Florida lost their series. So, calm down. Let's relax and and take a chill pill. And Vanderbilt's going to win all these games this week. I'd be surprised if they lose one of them. And, you know, say, God forbid, they drop one to Army, you know, like – four to three again i think vanderbilt fans will be talking the same thing but well i want to ask you this is something specific to the game and i don't want to get into this too much uh because we are closing out here soon but the electronic watches that vanderbilt is implementing this got a lot of buzz max hers put out a really nice video uh, explaining them during the broadcast and <laughs> the issue that people have with these, I think, first off, is they hate Vanderbilt originally, and it's Mississippi State fans, Tennessee fans saying, oh, those are ugly as shit. Why are they wearing those? Like, this is ridiculous. But, Will, it's, it, the point of it is to speed up the game. And, and the fact that some people are out here, you know, ripping whatever Tim Corbin tries to do and, and uh, Coach Brown, two of the best coaches in the country, maybe the best, is, is pretty ridiculous. I mean, every player on the field, Wears these wristbands. It shows what pitch the coach is calling from the dugout. It calls, you know, where some of the infielders should line up. I like it. You know, I, I will say it doesn't look great, but why are we going off looks? I mean, it, that if we're going off looks, that's ridiculous. Like, I, it, it's and people are saying it's a recruiting tactic. This is a tactic to try to speed the game up and I think give Vanderbilt an advantage. Like, wh- what happened to finding any sort of advantage? So, I thought some of the the uh, criticism was ridiculous, but will I mean I'm not surprised it's coming from Vandy. I mean I don't see why anyone, even Vandy fans, would rip this. Who cares? This is like my huge thing. Is like yeah, if it helps even a little bit. They lost me on anyone having any open criticism of anything utilized in baseball and claiming that it creates an unfair advantage. That was all lost the moment pitchers and catchers started wearing armbands. And Mm -hmm. that is the most ridiculous, stupid, idiotic, game-destroying thing that was ever added into college baseball was the pitchers and catchers. It slows the game down so much Mm -hmm. in between every single pitch of a game that is already painfully slow. 
you have the catcher look down and you have the pitcher looking down, reading off the pitch. Are people really being critical of the wristband, like you said, that actually makes that whole process quicker and does the exact same thing? I mean, I mean there were there, actually people there, that there's have people, criticisms yeah, of that. There, there, there's people. I, I thought it was a good tweet here from Lance Wheeler. We I retweeted it from the Doorport. He said, until you win a couple of national titles and develop an entire list of MLB first-round <laughs> draft picks, I'm betting Vandy could, re- to, could rarely care what you think. And, and their yeah, approach, the thing. it seems to work. Their approach Almost every single team will be using these by about midseason, and that's going to be my by favorite next year, part. It, it, by it, next it, year especially, every yeah. team will be using This is going to be everywhere be in part. baseball. It's going to be hilarious. It's going to be like – all the criticism of like running the hurry up offense and talking about it's ruining the game and then like two years later everybody in the country's doing it yeah, or the wildcat yeah. it's like it, the funny thing is early, early adopters and people take, follow like that vanderbilt's a trendsetter in college baseball they're and always are the follow. early adopters of all the technology they have the pitching room downstairs they have everything and they have all, exactly and this they is just another ahead piece of, everyone. of everything yeah. yep. it's another piece and and well I, like i said I, I i'm like you i could care less if they have an band, if they have a watch whatever Okay, I I would like to see the game sped up, though. And, you know, I heard some people saying, oh, that's part of the game. That's part of going to the park and, and, you know, watching a a game. But these games don't need to be four, four and a half, five hours long. They They just don't. They don't. And, and I think college baseball, their popularity is improving. And I think things like this will help it. I mean, college baseball Especially is Especially this season huge. with the MLB lockout. I mean, yep. I think college baseball was raising in popularity because – of the last little stretch of honestly Vanderbilt and then the rivalries yeah. between the SEC teams and the the passion that SEC fans have yeah. of it you're seeing an increased popularity of college baseball happening at the same time that the MLB honestly is losing popularity yeah. and are currently in a lockout yeah so I think college baseball is going to have a lot of eyes on it this yeah. season I want to ask and you that's this. a good thing for Vanderbilt as always oh it is as always and Will I want to ask you this one more thing Hawkins Field's a great place to watch a game it is. I love going to the Hawk. I love, I mean, I, I sit in the garage sometimes too. It's a great place to go watch a game, but you've got some crowds across the country. Will Mississippi state had 36,000, I think throughout the weekend and some places had 12,000, you know, attendance throughout the weekend. And I actually asked this to Willie Donick and, and we, we tweeted this out about, Hey, Vanderbilt fans, you know, well, why not show up on Sunday? And, you know, we had a few comments about, you know, where are the students? Where's the section for students at Vanderbilt baseball games? And, well, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about this too much. I had thought about it before, you know, watching some of those games on TV. And I'm sure Vanderbilt players, they go into those atmospheres and they're saying, hey, why can't we get this kind of support? I mean, they get support, but why can't we get this kind of rowdiness and, and electricity at, at the Hawk? And the Hawk has energy, but it's nothing like Starkville or Oxford or hell, even Knoxville right now. I mean, the, the fans have traveled and they've supported, and it's going to be a fun. There's going to be fun atmospheres all throughout the Hawk this season. But Will, what do you think of my idea of proposing a student section at the Hawk? I'm not saying there's no students that show up, and we've seen the football players on the dugout. We've seen that section behind their dugout. Some football guys go, but why don't Vanderbilt students show up like they do for basketball? You know, I mean, I haven't thought about this much, but I thought I'd propose it to you because, you know, we talk about fan support. We talk about student support a lot, and I don't see why not. I mean, yes, there's only 3,700 seats at the Hawk, but, I mean, why not, man? What, why not? They need to have a student section. I mean, they need to do something with that. Now, that is a great idea, and this is go- that is going to be separate to my answer to your question. And the answer to your question is very, 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 very simple. It's the same reason that Vanderbilt basketball and football have lost popularity and lost attendance throughout the past, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Starkville, Mississippi. It's a Saturday. It's a Saturday at 5 p.m. in Starkville, Mississippi. It's a Saturday at 5 p.m. in Knoxville, Tennessee. What's what is the plan, man? What's going on? What's going on in Starkville? I'll give you I'll give you the answer. Nothing. There's a there's a college baseball game going on. You know what's going on in Nashville at 5 p.m.? A lot. Right. There are about nine concerts going on, an entire row of bars on Broadway students can go to, entire row of bars in Midtown, entire row of bars in Printer's Alley, with different events going on across the entire city at all times, or you can go watch a five hour baseball game. Yeah. That's that's I mean, Billy, questions. that's that's a pretty We're both young, I think. You know, as Vanderbilt fans, you know, we every other that is the part that I just can't beat through people's skulls is every other city in the SEC sucks. Most college towns suck like they are awful cities. If you're not a college student, there's like 
fraternity parties, sorority fraternity mixers, college bars. Other than that, there's nothing. Nashville is the exception. That is where I get to. That is, you're not just battling to bring fans from walking up. You're battling against the city to bring fans into your games every Saturday. You're not just battling against a field party. You're yeah. battling or against a field a of corn. Five, a top five destination city in the country. That's what you're battling against. And Vanderbilt is battling against that and battling against opposing fans who view that as an opportunity to take a weekend trip and go watch a game in an enjoyable city yeah. at an affordable It's the price. same problem with the Titans. It really is. Exactly. I mean, that, I mean that's it's not like a we, fixable we, problem. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do think at the same time, you know, how much of a, how much a, would a section help? You know, I think I think I think it would help, but I, I I still think like Vanderbilt students. Let's go to the basketball game. You know, I mean, I don't know how many students in particular go to those games, and we know a decent amount here recently, but I don't know a specific number. But I, I do think if there's a section, say there's a, a deck like you know with like two dollar beers, I think students would show up to that. I mean, I, yeah. especially you know, oh, well, so of course. yeah, especially two dollar beers in downtown Nashville. I mean, that would be a hell of a deal. And I'm with but the you, difference Will. is, Billy. Think about the excitement level. Like, I'm not. This is like my point. Is think about the excitement level of a basketball game in Memorial, and you're there for three hours versus the in quotations excitement level of a regular season baseball game on a Friday or right. Saturday. It's right. just not the same. It's a lot slower. You're just not, it's not the experience the same way that's going to draw in students. Yeah. I think they're just in a tough spot. They and are. And that's I'm, probably why they don't have the student section out there. Yeah. Really. I'm with you. And there, I know there's students that go there. A lot of them are probably dispersed around. I think I've seen some of them <laughs> in the garage. Uh, but I mean, will you drive into Starkville? You're driving through cornfields and a bunch of nothing. And then you've got Starkville right in the middle of it. There is water, water, tower. water towers. I mean, there's nothing. So that's what there is to do. And they've also got a decent baseball team too. So that helps. But at the same time, Will, I, I, I'm not saying this is an issue. Like this, this, this is a topic that I'd love to discuss more. But at the same time, you know, with, a, with a, one of the best programs in the country, it would be cool to see some rowdies out there in the outfield. So maybe, maybe well, we I think it's it. before anything else, they got to fix the problem that those seats behind the behind home plate. There's are no empty one. There's no one ever, ever there. It's, it's, it's you have the, the big money donors that, that are rich. They don't, the they don't show up. They, exactly. Just they show give up, those tickets they, away. They show up to one, the one game, one series. It's the super regional. And optics, even, even though, optics, yeah, Billy. yeah, even those games aren't even really packed, but we'll, we'll, uh, we've got on our soapbox here, but Vanderbilt, <laughs> nonetheless, they lost, uh, two to two games to three to Oklahoma state. Uh, we didn't get to the offense, but Spencer Jones had a really good weekend. Javier Vaz hit his first home run as a Commodore. Uh, but Parker Nolan and Carter Young really struggled. They went 0 for seven with seven strikeouts on Sunday. So there's some guys that need to improve and they will, and they'll get better. It's the first weekend. So that, there's no struggle there, but we'll coming up. Willie Donick, he's the play-by-play uh, TV announcer for the Nashville Predators on Valley Sports. He's also the co-host of Darren Donick and Chase on 1025 The Game. He's former Vanderbilt basketball and baseball player. So, Will, I really uh, wish we need to get this organized. Uh, and, you know, I, this is a shorter one. Uh, it was good to be joined by Willie Donick, but he talked basketball and baseball. Uh, any last words here before we get to Willie? Yeah, get it organized, Billy. It's not much organization. Just don't schedule while I'm working. There's not like I, I it's texted, not like my, I, my schedule is. I texted set. Willie There's... and I texted Willie and he and he's like, "Hey, what? I have to leave for Florida at one p.m." And then he and then I was like, "All right, why not? You know, let's do it in the morning." And I knew you can't make it in the morning, but you know, maybe maybe the solution is you quit your job. Yeah, I work the same time. This is the thing. I like everybody's like, Will couldn't join us. I'm like, no, I work the same time every day, five days a week, exact same schedule, exact. Hey, same I'll be, I'll record. be in your situation. So, next Billy, this year, is probably. on you. Yeah, <laughs> I just want everyone out there to know this is not my fault. It's Billy's fault. Blame him. Yell at him. Get mad at him. Next, I would next love time, to be a part of these interviews, Billy. That would be great. Well, well, when 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 we get Jay Cutler on, I'll I'll make sure you're you're on that one. <laughs> That'll make you happy. But Will coming up, uh, Willie Donick here on the Doorport. Presented by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. 
Welcome back into the Door Report alongside Willie Donick. I'm Billy Derrick, and Mr. Donick checks back in with us here on the Door Report. Of course, he's the play-by-play television announcer for the Nashville Predators on Valley Sports. He's also the co-host of Darren Donick and Chase on 102.5 The Game from 10 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday. He's also a former Vanderbilt basketball and baseball player, so we'll be talking some hoops and baseball with Willie. Willie, thanks for taking the time. Always a pleasure. Always, always good to talk Commodores. Love it. <laughs> Willie, let's start with um, Vanderbilt basketball. And I, I want to, before we get into the Texas A&M game uh, on Saturday, obviously a big win for this program. Uh, I want to get into uh, the, the new star V. And I saw in the locker room that, that I saw you signed and many different uh, former Commodores that have gone back to uh, the, uh, the campus to go back and sign their autograph. I think, honestly, it's a great way for Coach Stackhouse and his staff to build new relationships with alums and kind of begin to cultivate those relationships, especially uh, in year three. What were your impressions of those locker rooms, uh, of the new locker rooms? And uh, honestly, the the uh, alum outreach from from Coach Stackhouse and, and, and this staff. Well, I think you set the table very well. Uh, Coach Stackhouse is uh, a guy that you know, had no Vanderbilt ties. He didn't have a lot of college basketball ties since he was a player at North Carolina. You know, he's really learning, you know, how to how to make it work in, in this city from all the different angles. And, and I'd like to see him continue uh, to progress in that area. I think he's an a- outstanding coach. I really think he does an excellent job with what he's had to work with there. He could use a little luck with some health, which I'm sure we'll get to yep. here in a moment. But uh, I was invited by the staff to come in in the fall and I put a hard hat on with them and went down there. It was still under construction uh, when, when I saw it in uh, a couple of months before the season started. When I, was, uh, when I was playing, we had an older locker room. And when I, between my sophomore and junior years, we moved to the area where the new locker room is now. And so we had a new, a quote, new locker room back then, which we thought was amazing. It, it, was, it was outstanding. But this one here, is even uh, next level. You know, they, they really did a great job of taking some of the resources from the Vandy United campaign and putting it into use. I, I've been really impressed with, with that area, plus what they've done to Memorial Gym. The sound system sounds tremendous. Uh, the, new, uh, the new video screens on the side uh, to improve the sight lines for the people that sit in particular seats. You know, Billy, when, depending on where you're sitting in Memorial Gym, you don't have visibility for all of the scoreboards. Right, so now right. wherever you're sitting, you're going to see those replays and everything like that. So I think they've done an outstanding job of keeping the old feel to the gym, which I still think is one of the greatest venues in college sports and keeping up with the times and having the high tech stuff. So it was great to go in there and sign the star. I think they really are trying to make former players feel welcome and a part of it. Yeah, Willie, it's got to be tough. I mean, after, you know, Kevin Stallings, he was here for, you know, almost two decades. And then, you know, you got Bryce Drew coming in here and now Coach Stackhouse. So when you've got that much fluctuation with a coaching staff, I'm sure it's tough for Coach Stackhouse to uh, maintain some of those relationships. And, and, and But honestly, the, the Star V, I, I don't know if I'd ever come up with that idea. That was a great idea uh, for them to do that. And, and honestly, w- with the way this season's going, I, I do think the momentum times up well with, with a lot of these alums starting to come back and, and, and wanting to support this program. Yeah, and the, the Shane Foster celebration, I thought, was first class all the way. And I was impressed how many of Shane's former teammates came in from all over the place. You know, a lot of them live far off places, you know, Louisiana, California. They were coming from all angles to be there for Shane. And I thought that was a great opportunity for some of those guys to get back and see what they've done and meet Coach Stackhouse. Because I think when you meet Coach Stackhouse, he's, you know, he's a, such a cool guy. You know, yeah. he's had so many great experiences. He's an interesting guy to talk to. He doesn't always show it uh, to the media, to the public, but you start for the former players. I think they're starting to feel that connection, which is good. And now the team's starting to have success, which is also really, really a welcome sight. Yeah, it was quite a slugfest uh, Saturday night, Willie, uh, at Memorial Gym. Vanderbilt found a way to beat Texas A&M 72-67. That's their sixth SEC win of the year, which is more than the last two seasons combined, and that's improvement. And I think coming into this season, that's what a lot of fans wanted. They wanted to see substantial improvement, and with all the injury issues they've had to fight through, everything's still in front of this team for a potential NIT berth. So uh, what are the chances, Willie, that, that we see this team in the postseason? Well, I think that's the goal is get to the postseason in some form or fashion. I think, um, you know, like you said, 
you can look at every year that Jerry Stackhouse has been there, and then you take it back to Bryce Drew as well. The the injury luck has been only bad, right? What's the saying? If you had, if you didn't have bad luck, you'd have no luck at all. They haven't had any good luck at all. Like I, I really believe in watching as Liam Roberts plays more, or Robbins plays more. Uh, if you had him in the groove, comfortable, up to speed, which I think he's getting there, along with Rodney Chapman, I think you have an NCAA tournament caliber team. Now, they'd have to go out and win the games. But right. I think that they have all the positions filled, depth-wise, position-wise, balance-wise. I, I think that's the makings of an NCAA tournament team. Unfortunately, they haven't had that group out there. Just in the very small sl slivers of time where they've had both Robbins and Chapman healthy Robbins wasn't there yet right Chapman was just getting into a great groove when he got hurt and now Robbins is getting into the groove you know it, it's it's a really interesting last couple of weeks here where they have some opportunities they could they could win them all they could lose them all but uh, I, I think they're going to battle and get a few more wins it's a crapshoot with the NIT you never know Belmont didn't make the NIT last year which I thought was a complete crime so I never know exactly what that committee's looking for but it would be a good goal for this team. Any kind of uh, postseason, I think, would be another sign of progress. Yeah, I think this team could win out and we'd still be, you know, not sure if they're in the NIT or, or out of it. Yeah. So that, that's, that's kind of how the NIT goes. But, Willie, um, with the way this team has played at home recently and, and, you know, Memorial Magic, we talk about, you know, it coming back all the time. Well, I think it's starting to come back. They, they're 4-0 in their last four home games and they're 4-0 with students in the gym. So I think that speaks to the diff the difference that students in the gym can make. Now, how, how much of a difference, you know, realistically is it? Who knows? But how much of, of a difference can they make, especially uh, with them not having them against Kentucky and Tennessee, uh, you know, two games that, that uh, I think they would have helped? Yeah, I think, you know, when you look back on the season, there's going to be a lot of what ifs, uh, mm -hmm. especially when you see – like, who knows? I'd love to see Rodney Chapman get healthy enough to help them in the SEC tournament and really see what this team looks like when they have everybody. And you'll look back and say, boy, what would it have been like if they had all those guys all the way through? And like you said, if they could have built some momentum early in the season, gotten a couple more wins, and, you know, there's no control you have over the, the fan situation. But, yeah, I, I think to gain traction as a program, you want to get back to having a situation where no matter who comes into Memorial gym, you feel like you're going to win the game. Uh, maybe you lose a couple over the course of the season, but there's nobody that comes into the gym that you feel like you don't have a good chance and, and expecting to win. I think they lost that. I mean, it's hard. It's hard not to, they had all kinds of trouble, you know, all kinds of situations, guys going in, guy going out, but I think they're starting to build that now. That's a good thing. Uh, I, I felt like Saturday was a good example, right? They, they got in trouble. Uh, you know, they had control of the game. Suddenly they were behind, but they found a way to win. And I think that's, that's what's been missing a little bit over the last couple of years, but it's a sign of growth and progress in the program. Willie, uh, they will play Tuesday night against Alabama, so that'll be interesting. But let's talk a little Vandy boys. Oklahoma State took two out of three from Vanderbilt over the weekend. Well, before we talk about it, how much of it were you able to watch? Because obviously the, the games last a long time, and, and uh, you know they're in Nashville. But how much of that were you, were you able to watch? I saw pieces of the last two games, unfortunately, the, the two games that they lost. Uh, I followed the first game. I saw some of the highlights. Uh, so, you know, the thing about it is, they have so many of the position players back, you know, it's, it's different than last year where last year you were getting to know the guys in the field. You know, the, some of the mm -hmm. guys that hadn't gotten a chance to play a whole lot before they jumped in there and uh, ended up having an outstanding season. So they've got that year under their belt. You feel like that should be a huge strength of the program. Uh, then the pitching staff is really, I think where it's got to shake out a little bit. Yeah. Jack Leiter. Kumar Rocker are gone from the program, and I think some national pundits, you know, may may have been putting this program down a little bit. But they're, I mean, they're still a top five team, you know, as they have in the past three or four years. So, Willie, it seems like Coach Corbin is 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 uh, approaching this in a group effort, and, and you know, we've seen McIlvain, Maldonado, Maldonado, and then Holton on Sunday. So, uh, from the approach standpoint of of how you go about replacing those two guys, it, it seems like the only option is is basically throwing guys out there and, and, and see how they do. <laughs> no question. And, you know, isn't it nice to say that the 
the program might be quote a little down and really there's still consensus top five right in everything so down is a relative term but i i see what people are saying when you lose two superstars like those two guys it, it's just going to be different there's different roles for the players i do think that they have enough arms that they'll be able to put together an excellent pitching staff but it might take a little longer as we saw over the weekend before they figure out exactly what role everybody should be in. I think the move from Maldonado to being like the key setup man slash closer to a starter is an interesting move. That, and they may decide at some point they're better off with him at the end of the game. But he's a good enough pitcher to where I think he could be an outstanding starter in the league. But they've just got to figure that out. He hasn't done it that, he hasn't done it that way before. You know, what does Christian Little look like over time he's still super young he's the age of a freshman but he has a year of college pitching under his belt what will he look like in the next few weeks so I think I wouldn't panic if they lose a few more games than they normally lose early in the season while they figure out what role everybody should be in I think what I really am excited about is you know the arms that's the one thing like we were so impressed with rocker and lighter as the full package but when you look at the you know just the the pure talent that the arms have, they've got plenty of arms that are going to be able to compete in the SEC if they have the mental uh, makeup that's necessary, the refinement from last year to this year. That's the difference between being, you know, a good Vanderbilt team, which is one that, you know, is going to be a regional participant, maybe host a regional, and being a great Vanderbilt team that goes to the Super Regional or maybe gets to Omaha. Right. Well, I got two more baseball questions here. Offensively, this looks like as deep of a lineup as as they've ever had. Um, they've got experience. They've got experience in Omaha, especially in the National Championship Series. Uh, guys like Carter Young, Parker Nolan coming back and, and, and so much depth there. So what kind of potential do you think this offense has? I mean, I think this this team could be we could be seeing a lot of uh, double digit run uh, run scoring games this year for this team. I agree. And I it's hard to it's hard to dominate offensively in the SEC because the pitching's so good. But I do think that this lineup from top to bottom should be really productive. I think that might hopefully pick up the slack if, like we were talking about, if they're still finding their way a little bit for a while with the pitching staff. And I do think by the end of the year, the pitching staff's going to be where it needs to be. But offensively, and that, that was the difference in the series, right? Maybe not as many big key hits as you would have hoped for. And I was really impressed with Oklahoma State's arms Oh, yeah, especially that closer that came out of the, the pen the last Ooh. two games. My goodness, he was unbelievable. Lights out. But um, I think over the course of the season, when you start with Bradfield at the top and you've got the power in the middle, I, I think, you know, Javier Vaz was batting ninth yesterday. And he's a, he's an outstanding older college hitter that is really experienced, has mm -hmm. a great feel for the strike zone. You know, if he's your number nine, man, I think that's a sign of a good offense. Yeah, it's kind of like Jason Gonzalez uh, last year. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you got a 6'4", 200-pounder in your nine hole hitting bombs like he is. Willie, one more here. I want to ask you about the atmosphere at Hawkins Field. I thought it was really good on, on Sunday. Of course, you had some colder days uh, Friday and Saturday. But looking across the SEC, I've talked about this with a few people. It seems like every other school has that student section that's, uh, that's packed, whether it's in the outfield or, you know, whether – I mean, but – a lot of those stadiums, they seat 12,000, 13,000 fans, um, and, and that's an electric atmosphere. Hawkins Field's a great place to watch a game. I think it's its own atmosphere and own uh, unique place to watch a game, but it doesn't compare uh, to the SEC stadiums. Do you think um, the, the, Do you think the reason we're not seeing like a, a massive student presence at games is because of the sheer size of the stadium? Or, or what, what, what do you think plays into that factor? That's a really good question. I have not uh, delved into that a whole lot. Uh, I, I, off the top of my head, I would say that the students the last couple of years probably have gotten out of the habit uh, of going over there. But I don't, as you say it, I, it does dawn on me, there's not a really a particular section that they set aside for the students. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to have some sort of heckling group <laughs> out there, you know, left field or right field or something like that. I, right. I do think they've tried because real estate is precious over there. They've, they've crammed in as many seats as they can get. They've expanded it a lot since Tim Corbin is there. Um, I think you've got a lot of people that control a lot of the season tickets and, you know, there's, there's not as much set aside, but I think that is worth looking into there. It'd be nice to have something uh, where there's a designated area where you're going to get some rowdies. Yeah. In there. But 
Uh, yeah. Maybe that's the next step. It's a good thing. But I, I agree with you. It was an outstanding crowd for a February game yesterday. I thought it looked great at the park yesterday. Yeah, and some really good baseball. I mean, it's not many, oh, not very often we see that good of baseball in February. And maybe, Willie, we, we should propose the right field rowdies. Maybe just okay. uh, set, set aside a, a deck, maybe a, a double-layer deck there in right field. What do you think? Oh, I like it. That, that's a great idea. I, you know, I remember uh, when they didn't have seats back there, one of Tim Corbin's first great team, David Price, Pedro Alvarez, Ryan Flaherty, that, that team that was the number one team in the NCAA tournament, unfortunately lost the, the regional. That was our first experience in Nashville of watching Vanderbilt host a regional. Mm-hmm. And they put the temporary stands. Yes. I don't know if you were at that one, Billy, but they I, put the. I was, sitting, I was sitting in that section. Uh, so, okay. Yep. <laughs> so they put those things. So you were yelling the black and gold chants from, from right field. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, that, was, the, see, that was new it, for everybody. And so that was, I thought that worked out really well. So it is fun how the, the outfield seats can interact with the, the people sitting behind the plate and along the foul lines. And then you got the people up in the garage, too, uh, get, getting rowdy up there. Oh, so, yeah. Right. Yeah, we got we to gotta get them some megaphones or something so they can <laughs> yell in unison. Oh, man. Thanks, Willie, for taking the time. And uh, really, really excited to see Vanderbilt baseball back. And, and of course, you got uh, traveling down to Florida with the Nashville Predators. And uh, I wish we could have talked about the Winter Classic coming up next weekend, but that's, that's going to be really special. So, uh, but Willie, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, yeah, well, we'll 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 hook up down the road. We'll talk about the Stadium Series game with the with the Tampa Bay coming up. It's a big week for the Predators, but uh, looking forward to the stretch run for the Commodores on the floor, and then uh, we'll see how it unfolds for the Vandy Boys.